Okay, and welcome to Creativity Conversations. This is episode 37, and I'm with the delightful, charming Heather Meyer Thomas. And on these conversations, we get to listen to people who understand the nature of creativity, they embody it, and they share it with other people. So I am going to start by welcoming Heather. Heather, it's so good to have you here finally. It's lovely to be here with you. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm going to read Heather's bio, although we all know that bios are only the tip of the iceberg in terms of who people are and what they do. But we're going to give it a whirl and go from there. So Heather is a holistic voice coach, classically trained soprano, award-winning crossover vocalist, she has 25 years experience, and clients include David Tennant, Matt Willis, Andy Bell, and Dori Sakurada. Heather's on a mission to help people find joy, skill, and confidence in their singing and speaking voice for particularly terrified adult be beginners who believe they can't sing. She adapts operatic technique, breathwork, and deep relaxation blended with personalized coaching which has a transformational effect on people's relationship with their voices and their well-being. Heather's currently running a number of programs online for both non-singers and singers, and is currently writing a book entitled Unsung Voices. She hosts the podcast Happy Voice Conversation, which explores our relationship with our voices. She has a YouTube channel, and her work is featured on BBC Radio 4 and The Times newspaper. So... Heather. God, I sound pretty impressive, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> Biogs, eh? I don't know. <laughs> so why don't you begin, if you would, by talking about what it was like for you to be a classically trained soprano and what you saw there, for not only for your own life, but for other people and the value of singing and the challenges that people have with singing. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I came from a very musical family. Everybody sang and it was never sort of questioned. You know, we just sort of got on with it. And I suppose I, well, I took it for granted. It was just one of those things that we did. And I come from Cornwall um, in a little fishing village down there where you've been, haven't you, Nina, on your travels? Yes. And <laughs> and so it was just, you know, it's in the culture, it's just in the chapel, it's in the community that people sang a lot. And so, and I went to a school that was very sort of musical in a more sort of classical sense as well. So I kind of got a little bit of everything growing up. And then when I went to um, music college, I got into the Guildhall uh, in London Conservatoire when I was 19. And I moved up and I really didn't like it. All of a sudden, this thing that I just sort of did like breathing took on this sort of seriousness and importance that I don't know if I wasn't mature enough to handle it or if it just wasn't really my thing. Um, and I found it really, I mean, I'd, I'd done sort of things that were competitive before, sort of examinations and uh, festivals and things, but, but it just felt competitive in a way that I didn't like. Um, not the people, I love the people, we were all, you know, together as students, but just something about the way of it that, that in the classical world that I just didn't, didn't really resonate with me particularly well um, at that stage. Um, 
and I ended up leaving after one year. It wasn't really for me. And I sort of got into doing session work and working with bands and doing other sorts of music instead, which was much more up my street at that point. And uh, yet one of the things that had kind of put me off at Guildhall was when we got there, we were told that we weren't allowed to sing in public uh, for the first year. And all of a sudden that felt to me just odd you know, like all of a sudden the voice was being treated like this thing that was rather delicate or, uh, mm. I don't know, not trustworthy or, or unreliable. And that was just odd. It's like taking one of your legs away if you're an athlete. I thought, well, that's what I do. Um, anyway, I didn't I didn't really enjoy that very much and ended up doing other things. Um, and I did actually go back to classical singing and do four years at Trinity later, where I really got into my kind of soprano life and I think I was probably a bit more mature by then and knew what I wanted but um, one of the things that really stuck with me when I was at school was my best friend absolutely loved singing absolutely loved singing she loved music she knew all the words of every musical theatre thing that was ever written but kept saying that she couldn't sing that was her thing she kept telling me she couldn't sing she didn't sing she felt that she couldn't sing her parents told her she couldn't sing it was like a joke and I can remember thinking well yeah you can you know you are you're singing we're driving along in this little car and you're singing at the top of your voice and okay maybe the notes are not exactly what was written and maybe you know no one's going to pay 50 pounds to come and see you in a concert but you're singing um and it was like we it was I think probably the first time I started really exploring what other people meant by they couldn't sing that it was more than just a kind of vocal thing. It was more than looking for vocal per perfection. It was, it was about, in their mind, it having to be of a particular standard before it could possibly be acceptable, mm -hmm. not just to other people, but to them as well. Um, and that I just found really sad. In fact, she was one of the first people who, who came along to my voice club workshops when I first started doing them years ago. And, you know, I don't know if her attitude to her voice has changed, but she sings all the time now turns up at all the things and really kind of enjoys it a lot better so you know it's been a process and she doesn't say she can't sing anymore not when I'm around she doesn't <laughs> <laughs> she might say it to other people yeah but she doesn't course. say it to me yeah. yeah um and I think it was then I started to explore what the definition of can't sing is um and how people feel that, that there's this immense pressure it's kind of like art you know like making any kind of creative yeah. thing that that unless it is of the standard where you would want to ask money to pay you ask someone to pay you money for it that somehow it's not an acceptable form of of expressing yourself and that i think is such a shame because over the years i've worked with so many people who there's so many sort of emotions tied mm. up in their voices and their rejections or their you know their opinion of their self-worth and all these experiences that people have had tied up to their voices that have this massive sort of impact they spill over onto all different parts of our lives um and that's kind of where i like to work with people really so tell me about your your uh, coaching your voice coaching groups and what those are like and how you encourage people to see themselves and their singing possibilities differently? Um, well, there are lots of different groups that I do, um, but it's the, the deep work is done mainly one-to-one. -one. 
Mm -hmm. um, but the the sing therapy and the unsung voices stuff that I've been doing um, is kind of working with groups of people who have started from the premise that they cannot sing, that they don't sing um, for whatever reason. And what I tend to do is to start with um, is, is to, well, it, it depends on the people in different ways, really. It's kind of led by the individuals or the people in the groups. But we start by kind of defining what singing is or what permission to sing is or what can't means. Um, because sometimes if someone is told they can't sing when they're six, you know, you don't know whether that means that you're physically unable to or that you're not allowed to. There's a, a kind of, you know, a different use of the expression, really. Um, and then we look at why and who told you that and were they qualified to judge and does it matter? And, you know, it just goes very deeply into that. Um, and then we look at what kind of on, on three different levels, really. There's the, the practicality of how to actually sing. Um, we kind of defi define what singing is. We actually isolate the fact that in many of our day-to-day -day experiences, we are actually singing, but we don't necessarily feel that it's singing. We don't say, oh, that was singing. But if you see someone across the road and you kind of go, ooh, ooh, or something like that, you could have called to someone across the road with your voice, you're singing, you're making a musical sound. You know, a lot of the, the, the ways that we use speech patterns is musical we're notating we're we're making sounds that flow that rise that fall that do things that modulate um but we don't necessarily look at those as singing so we don't own those things as things that we can actually do mm. um so kind of pick, pick apart little things like that um can you give us some more examples of that of, <laughs> of definitions and how people get constricted and they really don't see that they do have that possibility inside themselves just as you yeah. were mentioning. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of things that we do, a lot of the way that we use our voices. I mean, if you're soothing someone, if you're soothing a child, if you're soothing a cat, um, if you're, you know, doing something with your voice, we do this sort of humming. You know, we do kind of mm, sort of yummy sounds, mm, kind of sounds with our with our chords are kind of moving around. We're making these modulations. Um, and part of the stuff that I do at Voice Club is we take those kind of sounds and then we expand on them and turn them into recognizable musical phrases um, and where someone may be standing at the beginning saying oh I can't make a sound that's musical I can't sing a phrase and then you realize that actually you are and you're just building on something that you already do it's it's kind of looking at what singing is I don't expect everyone to you know by the end of the first lesson to be able to sing a, a, an operatic aria that's lesson two um, but <laughs> but it's kind of it's just a little process of, of just taking away that I can't just challenging it slightly yeah. just just challenging it and just saying where does it come from why do you believe that who told you that try and unpick it a little bit and just put it away um because yeah so many people have these beliefs but they don't know where they came from mm. um and or they come from something that is not really connected to their singing it may have been a moment of embarrassment related to something else. It may have been, you know, boys' voices break in the most embarrassing ways. You can be, you know, lots of men never sing after their voices, you know, reconnect or whatever happens to the boys when they, they get older because they've had a couple of years of yodeling and making strange noises and, you know, these things that have really made them feel terrible at a time of their lives where embarrassment is 
quite high on the agenda really for most teenage boys so this weird instrument that they've got also you know it's not something that is trustworthy it's not something that feels um connected and so quite often healing that part of yourself is really important too to just kind of see where you're at um and then there's the practical stuff that you know if you look at singing i mean it's terribly terribly physical especially opera singing you know when you train as a, as a as a classical singer you use your entire body you use your breath you use you know your lungs you use your your whole body relaxation is a big thing power is a big thing support and specific muscular movement specific muscular control and so if you can then start to divorce your singing from this emotional thing that's going on just briefly put that in a box over there and then we look at how to build the actual technique we, we look at it as if you were learning to play golf, you know, and if you're learning to play golf, you probably wouldn't have this self hate going on. If it all went terribly wrong, you might get a bit annoyed, but it wouldn't be like, oh, I did that wrong. Therefore, I'm a terrible person. I must never show my face in public again. It's not that. But with singing, we do have this massive thing about, you know, singing in public. But so then if you go for the practical aspects, you go for the technical aspects and you unpick the technique. And you start working physically with relaxation, which is very, very key to the whole process. Lots of mm. relaxation exercises and then specifically understanding which bits of the body need to be active in the singing process. Mm. And really just looking at that, you know, we're looking at the diaphragm, we're looking at the lungs. That's kind of it, actually. Most of the body doesn't need to engage with singing. Most of the body needs to be relaxed and just to let the lungs get on with sending the air through the vocal cords. And that's kind of it. But most of what we do, especially when we're stressed, especially when we're anxious about it, is we start to, our shoulders will come up like this and our throats constrict and we do things with our faces. And it's all this, you know, you see all this stuff going on that has absolutely nothing to do with the process of, of producing voice. Um, and so we unpick it. A lot of the work that I do well, when we're allowed to see other human beings in person, we do a lot of lying down on the floor. So people do a lot of the work lying down on the floor. Mm -hmm. So you take the body out of the equation and you don't have to look at anybody else. So we're kind of in our own little space, lying on the floor, just working with breath, working with humming, working with sound. And then it kind of just builds up from there. But you start giving yourself a little bit of evidence that something that you do makes a little bit of difference or that, oh, you do have some control over that. It does feel okay to do this. It doesn't have to be difficult. And then it's kind of like a flow. That sounds really great. I think I want to be in one of your classes, which means someday I'll get to travel to the UK and come visit again. <laughs> yes, or I'll travel to you. That would be good too. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. So, you know, you're reminding me of something when you talk about how singers often use so many unnecessary parts of the body to sing. We have um, a program locally for young opera singers, and it's a wonderful program that has been around for about 30 years. And they, out of a thousand applicants, they choose 25 of these young performers, and they'll put on four operas during the season over the summer. And they will showcase their talents in a number of other events prior to the opera just so you get to know who the singers are and two things that really stand out to me and i'd love you to speak to both of those one is the passion with which young 
singers perform. I mean, they are just oozing with enthusiasm and love, and they just put themselves 200% into the performance. And the other thing is that you can really tell when a performer is technically proficient, but not comfortable in that they do certain stylized movements that don't seem to add anything to their performance at all. And it looks very, uh, it, it looks very um, not, it, it doesn't, it doesn't lend itself to enjoyment. It just looks like they're going through the motions. Yeah, so a bit distracting, actually. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that can often be a nervous thing. You know, sometimes people have little sort of ticks that they do. I can remember being in a song class when I was at Trinity College of Music, and we used to have these, you know, regularly where you'd be critiqued by the teachers and, and told what you were doing, and you wouldn't necessarily notice. And one thing they said to me is that when I was singing, I used to do this thing with my arm. I used to kind of lift my arm up like this, and I don't know why. I didn't even know I did it. But, you know, it was pointed out to me. And then I noticed, oh, I do, I do that thing with my arm. And we couldn't quite work out because I'd been a jazz singer, whether it was something to do with holding a microphone or or whether I just wanted a cup of tea or, you know, it could have been something like that. But there was definitely a, a something I was doing without thinking about it. And I think sometimes if we have these physical, um, I don't know, it's just like a comfort blanket, certain movements that we tend to go to if we're not particularly comfortable, um, those can happen. But in terms of what you're talking about, the passion, I think what i love about classical training about real solid classical training is it's so much more than the voice that the time that you spend digging really deep into the text digging really deep into the language and you know what it is you're actually doing the emotional stuff and really you know it's it's such a journey this is why you know you kind of spend at least four years at music college when you're doing classical music because there's so much to do you know you're not only learning the the languages um but also all those things the history the context the stylistic perception classes you know all the stuff so by the time you come to be let loose on a stage you're really embodying what it is that you're doing you know and then you are a kind of um you're free to let it flow you know that you're you're physically able to be relaxed enough to kind of produce this instrument this physical instrument that you are that can just allow everything to come through because you're not having to reach for a note you're not having to try and produce something because that's happening naturally because the technique is already there that's the wonderful thing it's like a real grounding a physical grounding having your technique which is why when you work with people who are non-singers it's so useful to do that. It's so mm. useful to go into that grounding, that physical technique, because that is often the key to, to being able to sing and not being able to sing. Because if you don't know how, you know, if you're not someone that just opens your mouth and naturally just makes a lovely tune, you need to learn how. It's like learning to drive. You know, when you learn to drive, mm. you have to do things with your feet, with your hands, with your eyes all the time. You've got things going on. And learning to sing is the same. And even if you're a good singer, you can be a better singer if you learn technique. You know, it's it's knowing what to do with all the different bits of your body. And then once you know, you know, you don't have to think about it anymore. It's You just put it away. Like when you drive from one place to the other, you don't have to think about it. So, you know, like a sport, same thing. It's all technique. It's yeah. funny. You know, what? I, part of what I hear you saying is that, like with everything in life, when 
the issue is me and how am I doing and how am I looking and how am I sounding, whatever it is that wants to be expressed through us gets really distorted, yeah. if not prevented altogether. Absolutely. We, we're so much in our own way. Yeah. And so if your premise is I can't sing, you know, you're not just in your own way. You've, you've closed yourself down. You know, it's it's that is really the unpeeling of that little first element is where people go from not singing at all to starting to sing. And I'm not going to say everyone in the world has got the capacity to be the most beautifully gorgeous, you know, highly paid singer in the world. That's really not that. But everyone in the world has the right to use their voice musically and creatively and expressively. And, you know, this is what makes me so angry when when people are shut down when they're young or whenever that they don't have that capacity because of something that happened. That makes me really angry. Well, you've used this phrase vocally abused. I know. It so is. tell us a little bit more about that and how you how that came to you, that phrase. Because it felt like abuse. The number of people when, when I take people on one to one, which I've been teaching for 25 years, I always send out a little form for people to fill in, you know, before they, 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 the sort of application and ask people to talk about their experience of their voice. And people do, you know, they'll tell you all sorts of stories and everyone's mm -hmm. got a story. Most people have got a story about something that happened. And if you relate those stories to a lot of any, if it was of any other element of their lives, it would be abuse. You know, if someone was told that they were too fat to do something, or if someone was told they were the wrong colour to do something, or they were the wrong gender or the wrong whatever, it wouldn't be okay. You know what I mean? This is this is not, it's not good. It's not good at all. It's, it's people are shamed for their voices. And that kind of voice shaming is, is unacceptable because it doesn't, you know, if you sort of say it in conversation, people are quite sort of, it's a bit of banter, isn't it? Oh, you say to someone they're tone deaf, or you say to someone they can't. But you don't know the impact that that has. Mm. Not not that someone is necessarily sitting in the dark crying about it, but it might inform a decision they make to do something about something if they worry about their voice. Because it's not just the singing voice, it's the speaking voice. And, you know, we all use our speaking voices and they represent us. And, uh, you know, it's really important that we own what we have. Um, and not allow anyone else to take it away. I've heard several stories from international speakers who were uh, told by other people, nobody's going to want to hear you with your accent. Mm. And same sort of vocal shaming that you're talking about. And, and fortunately for these people, they all persevered and thought, how do they know? Yeah. and went on to become very well known in their fields. But I think everybody's got a story about, you can't do that. I remember once a long time ago when there were first answering machines on phones and I recorded a little song on mine just as a joke and my mother called me and said, you know, you really ought to take that off. <laughs> <laughs> did you? Did you take it off? Eventually I did, yes, but... <laughs> I was shamed into it. I must admit. <laughs> and and sometimes people, you know, people do these things with good intention. You know, if they themselves feel that there's some kind of anxiety about having a voice that isn't, you know, pitch perfect, then then that's more about them than it is about you. Yeah. You know, you were clearly quite happy with what you'd done, and that was fine. So, 
you know it's but that you know it goes into everything doesn't it what is ours and what is somebody else's mm-hmm. um what's our yeah. decision what is other people's decisions and and the voice is so personal you know it's so so personal um, i mean i've taught people with terrible stories really there, there was one young woman who absolutely adored music she was you know passionate about it she spent all her time learning her instruments learning her choir stuff from school doing all this stuff and then one time she was in a rehearsal and the teacher or was it in a rehearsal or had she gone to audition for a solo or done something and was so sort of badly abused by the teacher you know said she was terrible said she was flat she she couldn't do this or whatever that she took it all on Mm. and she never ever ever sang again but she went to all the rehearsals she learned all the pieces and she mined every single piece of music for the rest of her school days and that was it I mean it was the saddest thing in the world that she felt that she couldn't be heard but she still wanted to experience it and we were in her lesson her first lesson and she was weeping before she even got into the into the room and you know by the middle of it we were both weeping you know it's like how dare anybody do that you know that mm-hmm. it's um and it's just a shame it's just a shame that all that time was wasted and and often when people come to their voices when they're adults when they're 30 40 50 and upwards and they do suddenly take hold of their voice and and allow themselves to enjoy it again there's a kind of period of grieving you know people Mm. look back and say god i could have done this 30 years ago why didn't i do this 30 years ago and and all sorts of emotions come through that's it's a sort of a part of yourself that you lose or you feel that you've lost that contact with and then you get it back and it's like ah it's almost as though you're you're bringing back retrieving a part of yourself yeah and how wonderful is that yeah oh it is it's absolutely wonderful you know and i think a lot of the stuff that people take on board that stops them singing isn't necessarily done maliciously you know it isn't like someone has come at you with a stick and hit you over the head and said you can't sing it it can be a comment it can be a remark it can be something that's taken out of context but it's something that's meant such a deep you know had had such a deep impact and and this is why for me i want the conversation to be more open so that people have these conversations about singing and their voices and maybe they start to question you know why they've stopped singing a little bit earlier than waiting until they're 30 or 40 or 50 or whatever and someone like me pops up on their you know facebook or whatever (laughs) yeah what I find really delicious is that something in you was willing to take on this challenge of freeing other people from this really difficult and destructive um, persona that they've adapted adopted for themselves. I think for me, it, it, I mean, that sounds very worthy. And actually, it, it wasn't that worthy at all to start with. I didn't, you know, decide to take it on. I basically always said all the way through music college and my sort of earlier career that I would never teach. I was like, oh, no, I'm never going to teach. I don't want to be a singing teacher. And I wouldn't even go to the classes, you know, how to learn to be a singing teacher classes or whatever they were called. Um, no, 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 I'm never going to teach. And that was that. I wasn't going to teach. And then it wasn't until... Uh, well, we were married and we had one 
child, I think, or possibly two. And money was quite tight at one particular point. And it was sort of, well, what can I do? I have to be, you know, doing something. I suppose I better give singing lessons. I was like, oh, no. And I just couldn't bear the thought of it. And I had one friend who was already doing it. So I rang her up and I said, oh, I've got to give singing lessons. She said, right. And she sort of talked me through a few, you know, ways of, of doing it. And because uh, I didn't play the piano or anything very well at then. Well, I play now, but only because I've been teaching for a thousand years. But uh, that was my big fear that I couldn't play the piano well enough. And I thought, OK, so I put a little postcard in the library and it basically said, you know, um, graduate singing teacher, whatever, um, giving lessons. And I put at the bottom, scaredy cats welcome, because I rather like the idea of scaredy cats because my best friend at that point was, you know, scared of singing. And I put it at the library and I got this call from this lady, which terrified me. I don't know which of us was more terrified, was it her or me? And she said, oh, I saw your thing at the library. I like the fact that you're welcoming scaredy cats. I'm a scaredy cat. Um, can I come and have a singing lesson? And, uh, you know, it was really interesting. I I wasn't sure what to do. I was trying to plan this lesson out and try and decide what might happen. And of course, everything was totally unknown. I had absolutely no idea what to do. And it just was <laughs> wonderful. She turned out she was in a very complicated life situation she had a, a daughter she was a single mother she had a daughter who was severely disabled and she was the sole carer for this child and she got very 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 little respite very little respite hardly any time and then it turned out that she was going to have a couple of hours a week where she could go and do something and she saw my card and she wanted to come and have singing lessons because she loved singing and she loved music um and she'd never done it. She'd never sung and she didn't couldn't read music. There was no sort of musical thing, but she just liked the vibe of the postcard in the in the library. So she came along and we kind of played it by ear, really. We just would meet each other every week and would go through things. And it was the first time that I realised, well, it was after that she'd been coming for a little while that she decided to stop taking her medication for anxiety. And she stopped taking medication for all these things that she was suffering, depression and and things like that. And I'm not going to take credit for that. I mean, she was doing the work and singing was somehow unlocking something in her and raising her spirits. And she was moving from one place, you know, emotionally into another one. And so she was finding this expression that really helped. And it was at that point that I realised how beneficial singing could be to somebody else, because I've only ever had singing from my point of view. And it was like this completely different thing. And so I went and trained at that point as well in hypnotherapy. I wanted to work with the voice and the breath and, and what people were you know, experiencing emotionally as well. Um, and then did a course in life coaching and sort of put, put them all together when I realised that they had these incredible sort of therapeutic um, you know, things that could happen as a result. And that's how I started to get known, really, as somebody that worked with people who were not necessarily straightforward just singers who wanted to sing and take exams and do concerts that there was that I was going deeper into it and that's sort of what evolved in my practice um yeah and and what have you what's it done for you being able to take a more in-depth process with people who have that fear I think well, for me personally, the benefit of having done this all these years is that at my age, 
my technique is still absolutely super strong, you know, that I've had to work so deep with little aspects of simplifying singing technique that my voice is in great nick, you know, because it has to be, because this is what I demonstrate and this is why I'm always unpicking it and trying to find new ways of, of teaching it to people who don't necessarily have a straightforward approach. Um, but I think, obviously, I've, I've formed fantastic relationships with an awful lot of my clients. I mean, I'm teaching people that I've been teaching for 20 years. I mean, you know, literally 20 years. <laughs> and there's a sort of joke going around about, oh, aren't they any good yet? You know what I mean? <laughs> After all this time. But a lot of people feel like it's a kind of therapeutic relationship and very, very strong. Um, I don't know. I mean, for me personally, I suppose it just gives so much more than, than just teaching a song and getting someone to do a concert, which is a wonderful thing to do. But for me, I'm more interested in, in, in something that's more 3D, you know, in the 3D element of the person. Um, yeah, so I think that's what it's done for me, really. It's very fulfilling. I would think so. It, it reminds me of what's often talked about in coaching, that there are three levels of coaching. The first level is problem solving for an individual problem. So someone has a song that they want to sing, so you help them perform it. And then the next level is kind of across the board as a singer. So you assist them with that. And then the third level is totally transformative, where you're getting people to see things on a much deeper level that, that of course changes their ability to sing, but it also changes their self-concept, changes their perspective on the world. And it sounds like that's what you're offering people. Yeah, I think that's what has evolved. And I think that's when you're working with a person and not just a voice, you know, and what brings people to me is that the, the voice is the bit that's missing. You know, the person is there but the element of voice is, is somehow disconnected from that. And this is where we find the links back to it and the, the practical skills and stuff. But it does, it, it does, it is transformative. It is utterly mm. transformative. You know, people have, have changed so many areas of their lives having done singing. You know, you, you do one thing in one way and you think, actually, if I can apply this to this, then actually oh. I can apply it to that. Right. Uh, it sounds like there's a freedom that people recognize working with you when they have that ability to open their mouths and let the music come out that if they can do it there then they can do it they can do something else somewhere else where they have been afraid to do it before absolutely and i'm very big on mistakes and failure you know whatever people think that is whatever think whatever people think singing wrong is one of the first things we do in the groups you know is is i ask people to just make the most horrendous sound they can possibly produce all at the same time <laughs> we just make ghastly droning foghorn sounds and just get it out of the way because that's the fear you know the fear is that oh no i might make a terrible sound which what let's just make a terrible sound and get it over with <laughs> then the only way is up you know um it, it's looking at what the fear is because it's ultimately what people are afraid of is something and usually it's embarrassment or loss of face or or something that we read into what this means about me what does that mean about me and what does this mean about me it's just, and it's it's fear it's fear of of being sort of 
appear to sound unpleasant or that somebody might say something and if somebody says something that might make me feel like this and you know it's the whole feeling of your thinking thing isn't it I mean if you go that deep it's this is it it's what the thinking is so I also try and encourage people to to be very aware of what their inner dialogue is mm. and just see it as being absolute crap you know that the inner dialogue has nothing to do with anything it's just something and if you're taking it seriously and you really feel that you know this voice in your head saying you really mustn't do this because it's terrible and it's all going to be a disaster and everything if you really believe that you know then you really are stuffed but i mean if we <laughs> this is where we get to you know this is where we started from all these dialogues in the head so you need to get rid of them and just get on with the the process of of making a sound with your vocal cords and being a human instrument you know, I, I don't know where, if you were in, in on in this conversation, but there was a conversation recently that I was privy to that um, cre creativity is not about us. It's about the, the process that wants to emerge. Yes. And it only gets screwed up when we get in our own way. And oh, boy, yes. it's about me. It's not about the thing I love. Yeah, absolutely. We are. We are, we're with the little lids on the bottle, aren't we? We just screw up tight and then that's what we do. We screw our little lids on the bottle. And I mean, the thing is, I think sometimes the more people love music, the more they love it, the more hard it is for them to feel that they can be part of that process if they're not sure they're any good at it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because it's yes. almost like it, it's so important to be good because it needs to be good um mm. and so it takes on this massive massive importance um yeah but i know exactly what you mean we are right in our own way most mm. of the time <laughs> well i'm making up you're... stories so yes right well absolutely and i and i love that you're pointing them to the open door yeah yeah it's all about the door <laughs> and going yeah. through it yeah Absolutely. We have some time to answer any questions if there is anyone on the call that might like to ask or share a comment. So if you would just, if you know how to raise your blue digital hand or raise your hand on the screen and I will come get you and we'll go from there. Okay, Gwen. Gwendolyn. Gwen will need you to unmute, I think. I'm unmuted. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. So first of all, I loved this conversation so much. It actually it made me cry. Oh. <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't have my camera on earlier. No, the uh, the story that you told about um, the the woman that you coached who was told when she was I don't know how old that she was a horrible singer and then she never sang again. That is my story. I mean, it was it was it was really touching. It wasn't quite quite in that sense, but I went to a musical audition when I was 16 because I was convinced I'd be the next, you know, the next, I don't know, pop star or whatever. They did like an MTV search for the next superstar. I grew up in Germany, so this was this was over there. And I snuck out of school. I skipped school and I went to this audition and I had rehearsed so for, for weeks I had rehearsed this song and I I'd perfected it in my mind. And I started singing and I just had this moment where I was on stage and everybody looked at me and I, I didn't realize I was caught off guard because I didn't forgot 
for some reason that there was going to be no musical accompaniment. <laughs> for some reason, I forgot that. So here I am singing a cappella to the song that nobody had ever heard before. That was my raver face. So I looked funny. I had like pink hair. And, and you know, people were kind of like, who's this girl? And I started singing this very soulful song. And it was just none of it made sense to anyone. And they looked at me and I had this moment where all of a sudden I realized they were staring at me and I could see their faces and questioning like what was, you know, who I was. And I just, I blank, I went blank. I forgot the lyrics. I forgot everything I was doing. And I just stood there and froze and they booed me off the stage. It was so traumatizing. They booed me off the stage and this was on camera on MTV. So I don't know if there's any footage out there and I hope it doesn't exist because I'd be mortified to see it. But ever since that day, I was like, I'm never singing again. I can't, I'm a horrible singer. But then I tried, I took voice lessons here and there, you know, over the course of the years, maybe later on. Um, and I, I tried and I got a little better. And then I go through a period of time where I was disappointed again because, you know, just met the wrong people who promised me certain things and then that fell through and then I kept getting disappointed and, and it kept reinforcing the story of you don't belong into this world like that's not you don't have a place as a singer even though I love music and I love singing and I do think that I have potential it's just it's that block right that it's that mental block that fear of I don't know of of just being booed off stage again of of you know looking like a failure of not pleasing other people and then combining that with probably some some mother daughter stuff which gets a little more complicated but you know really kind of thinking about okay well why do how do we start you know coming up with these narratives in our heads and why is it that we believe them and but it's really unraveling all of that and in a way I'm conscious of it and yet I know it's it's really deep in there, you know, it's it takes a little while to unravel it. And sidebar, I hope this is not too much of a long story, but you know, I've been getting very into yoga and I just completed my yoga certification, which I'm very excited about. But I've been grinding my teeth for 20 years. 20 years. I mean, anxiety, stress, and it's all in the jaw area. And it all has to do, I'm I'm a good public speaker. I feel very comfortable. None of that stuff bothers me. If you put me on a stage, I mean, I, I, fr I freeze still to this day. It's, it's really hard for me. I try to uh, put on a game face, pretend like I'm someone else, a different character, a different person, a, a different persona that helps me. But um, it's really hard. And I think it's because music is so personal. And it, it's really, it's all about letting, letting your authentic your authentic person right shine. And it, it's very, it's a vulnerable process. Yeah. And so anyways, I'm, I love this interview. I've learned so much. I'm really excited to be a part of this and would love to uh, learn how to get in touch with you. Okay. Well, I mean, also, I just want to say to you that it's so much more, but it's also so much less, mm. you know, it's so much less than your experience. I mean, your, your yeah. experience was horrible. They deserve <laughs> to be slapped across the head. Those rude people. <sighs> That's horrendous being treated like that. But also, it's it's a lot of thinking about something that is like breathing. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? That your voice is just your breath. It's just an extension of your breath. It's just an extension of your breath. And all I would say to you is just 
also for your jaw just hum your breath out you know don't give it any meaning don't give it any thinking if you've got thinking let the thinking go over and sit on the chair over there you know but the actual singing just just take your breath in just fill your lungs and just that's very soothing <laughs> see what i mean just hum your yeah. breath just hum your breath soothe yourself because it sounds like you need a bit of taking care of do you know what yeah. i mean and your voice yeah. can do that your voice can do that and once it stops meaning anything you know what might be good if you could be so playful with it you yeah. know just just get playful just be like six years old and just go you know sing anything sing something just just do it badly do it well have some fun with it sing silly yeah. songs from your childhood sing nursery rhymes just just start again you know and then erase that awful period where people were just very rude and badly behaved in a situation yeah. that was clearly the wrong time in your life to have that happen do you know yeah what I mean? so well especially when you're there. what 14 15 16 oh. when everything is Everything's tragic awful. and dramatic anyway. <laughs> yeah, everything's awful. Yeah. You need to bypass it and jump into the next bit. But you know what I mean? Your voice is just, it's yours. It's nobody else's. It's your breath. It's your out-breath. Yeah. And you just use it to express yourself. And just, you know, just be a little bit operatic. You know, if you're talking to yourself in your in your house, just, just sing it sometimes. Just, oh, I need a coffee. Oh, I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to the bathroom. You know, just, just anything. Just get more playful with your voice. Yeah. You I think I mean? the other piece is, the other piece is that people, myself included, get too attached with an, with a, um, with an outcome, right? Oh. We have a certain, we have an outcome in mind and we get so attached to that outcome that it's, it's actually impossible. It's about putting in the effort and actually just enjoying the process and then just seeing what happens, right? Do you know so I know awesome. all of that, but it's, it's really hard for this particular thing to, I don't know, to just- um, You know the thing though, Gwendolyn, right? there, there are no outcomes. We don't know anything. Right. We don't know <laughs> anything. We don't know what's gonna happen. We don't know what's gonna come. We don't wanna know what's gonna go. We think we can think a pretty good idea about stuff, but we don't know anything. All we've ever got is the breath that comes in and goes out. And you may want to work on a particular song or you may want to do that for pleasure, for enjoying it. And you may want to set some things up with, you know, this kind of intention in mind. But but you don't know any outcomes. Yeah. Nobody does. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. There's so much. God, I, I could talk about this forever. And I just thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, to learn from you. Not at all. My pleasure. Thanks, Gwen. You could sing to your dog. I do actually. I'm in the shower. <laughs> do it. Great. <laughs> Gary, let's go to you. Hi, Heather. How are you? Hi. Great. Thank you, Gary. I've, I've just loved, I've just loved this. And you're saying so many things that, um, I, that I sort of knew, but I'm loving the way you put them. <laughs> and, and something occurred to me as you were talking that that has never occurred to me. I sing all the time. And I, and especially since the, uh, uh, the pandemic, I'm out for a, you know, a big walk every day. And I almost am always singing when I'm walking. And um, it, it occurred to me as you were talking about just the joy of singing, the joy that moves through you as you're singing. Singing is as close as we'll ever get to flying. Yeah. It's that, that feeling of really singing and really letting your voice out and just, you know, having the, the, the voice on the breath and letting, 
it's so much like flying when you give yourself over to it. When you're judging it, of course, it's not. Then it's like, you know, crawling through glass or something. Yes. Not flying at all. But I, I, just, I loved that vision, that, that image that came to me as you were talking about, about it, uh, it. It's being like, you know, it's like flying. And I, there's also this thing that, I mean, I've sung all my life, but I, you know, I, I, nobody ever told me I couldn't sing. I told myself that at one point because I was, I was comparing my voice to other voices that I thought I should sound like. And of course I didn't. And then hearing my voice singing recorded is a shock because you don't have all the bone conduction in your head and you're hearing a completely different effect, you know? And so for most of my life, my singing sounded sort of like some kind of a strangled gargle. You know, it was, it, it was being held in. It was kind of coming out, but being held in. And I think that's the only thing that really gets people in trouble, that feeling that they have to hold part of themselves in. Because frankly, singing is, I mean, people feel vulnerable sometimes speaking in public, but singing adds another dimension to it because there are other, other qualities on which you can be judged. Mm -hmm. And if you start to judge yourself in your head, it's just gonna go really downhill. But that's what I did. And then, you know, a few years ago I stopped I stopped feeling I had a need to hold it in. And it sort of changed everything. And it certainly changed the amount of joy that came through me when I was singing. Yeah. yeah. And now if I'm singing to other people, I don't, I'm not, I'm not thinking about what they might think about it. That's like trying to live the future before it comes, you know, trying to being focused on an outcome. It's like trying to get there too fast when you're still in the middle of the song. Yeah. But I, I just, I, I applaud your work because I think it's so important to get people singing. Um, I, I started this thing a few weeks ago that I've been thinking of for months and uh, I call it song share. And I invited a bunch of people to come on a zoom call and every week and start singing to one another, you know, acapella one at a time. And really emphasizing this isn't a competition. There are no judges and no judgments. We'll love anything you sing. We just want to hear you. And um, people seem to really like it. And some people want to come and can't let themselves because they're convinced that they'll have the same bad experience that you know they've, they've had before. But I, I, uh, I was really excited when Nina, who happens to be my wife, by the way, I'm in the other room. <laughs> when she told me that she was having you on today because i thought wow that's this will be neat and it's even neater than i thought it would be so oh. i didn't really have a question i just had a lot to ramble actually yes i do have one question i'm sorry to take up so much time have you ever had a situation where somebody couldn't match a tone on a piano but could match your voice the vocal tone couldn't match a note on the piano so i don't quite understand what you mean but, couldn't, but could match but could meet a tone that you produced vocally. Oh, I see what you mean. So they were able to pitch to my voice, but not yeah. to the instrument. Yes, yeah. um, yes. yes. Uh, and the other way around as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Often if I'm teaching men, they find it very difficult to pitch to me because I've got, you know, the female octave is just different. Um, but yeah, um, and it's all to do with 
what feels familiar sometimes and what resonates mm. and also the thinking that we've got around it sometimes people are intimidated by instruments and other people are intimidated by other people's voices mm -hmm. um you know there are all sorts of reasons for everything and one thing i was going to say to you gary um apart from the fact you've got a lovely speaking voice it's very musical very melodic um one thing that we do in in my voice clubs um we rehearse in this massive church, huge, great church. Mm. But even if we don't, even if we're in other spaces, like sometimes we're in a pub or whatever, everybody goes off into a corner on their own and faces the wall. And then simultaneously, we let rip. Oohs, ahs, ees, whatever, just sing whatever we like, just at the wall, about three inches away from the wall. So your voice is coming back from the wall. And it's the most amazingly wonderfully freeing thing to do in company it's also great to do on your own but when you're in company once you get over the first few seconds of it feeling weird people look forward to that every week because you're just not singing you're just making a sound but you're all doing it freely in a big space and it doesn't matter there's nothing on it there's no right there's no wrong there's no anything and it's the most therapeutic so if you ever feel you want to release just well you know everyone go to your wall and just open up your voice and do something yeah. yeah i'll definitely try that and i can see the benefit because you're you're getting even more resonance i mean yes. your own resonance is coming back so that you can feel it and hear it yeah it's gorgeous it's so gorgeous and and it's just lovely and lovely to do in company as well because you've just got so many weird and random things going on at the yeah. same time <laughs> it's great when it doesn't mean anything you know yeah, that's such a good point, Heather, that so much of the time we ascribe a meaning to something that is totally arbitrary and changes depending on our mood at the moment. And yet it doesn't mean anything. No. And then it's gone, you know. Right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's done. It's all done. Uh, yeah, but we make it mean things, don't we? We just make it mean things. Yeah. But... Any other questions out there? We've got a few more minutes to answer some. Anne, can you unmute yourself? Maybe I can do it for you. I can unmute. Oh, there you are, Anne. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Um, what wonderful work you do. It's so, it's so therapeutic. And um, the, the, uh, just singing in and of itself, having that breath move through us, making a melody. And when we do it with other people too, there's that sense of attunement where we're all somehow in a space in the moment that we would never ever be able to achieve if we weren't opening our voices together. And, um, you know, hearing your stories about the people that you've worked with, I. I realized that when we're little, you know, we're toddlers and we're young, we don't, we're not self-conscious. You know, the ego hasn't developed, which I think is like the source of self-consciousness. And then, you know, the older we get um, and, you know, in our cultures, um, the, you know, the more difficult it is to connect with that sense of freedom that <clears throat> what comes out of you it's just what comes out of you and is beautiful and it makes you feel a certain way. And then at some point, society or culture 
starts to whittle away your concept of yourself and, and your capacities. And, you know, I, I agree that it, it's very much like art because as children, we're painting all the time. And then at some point, I don't know, I don't know what age or grade we start to, to believe that we can't draw or that we're not an artist. And we probably have, you know, people in our lives or teachers saying, no, you don't, you don't meet the criteria to be able to do that. And, but it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's something that is free for all humanity and, and, and animals too. I mean, animals sing, right? I mean, you've ever heard the moose call and, and birds and frogs. I mean, everything's emitting sound, expressing themselves in some way and communicating. And I, I think it's that, you know, when we, when we do sing, we are commu communicating something so personal about ourselves that, that as I think as Gwen was saying, I mean, we're vulnerable because we don't, we don't even know what's gonna come out or how that, how that will sound or be interpreted. But, you know, when it's sincere and, and it comes from your desire to express yourself that way, it's, I think that that, that connects with other sincere people as opposed to, you know, the judges that are out there. And um, I, joined Gary's group last Saturday, which was wonderful, by the way. And um, my husband, I asked my husband if he'd, you know, join us. He said, oh, no, I don't sing. I don't sing. And so he's one of those, I don't sing, right? But I know that he sings because I taught him, um, we were in Scotland, and I, I said, Jeff, you have to, we have to be able to sing the Bonnie Bonnie Banks of Loch Lomond. And it was great. And he did sing it. But I, I don't want to take too much time here, but um, we have neighbors that are musical. And um, my friend, she sings Sherry. And her husband, Larry, is another I can't sing kind of guy. <laughs> but he plays the guitar. So last night, they came over and we pra were practicing a Beatles song for Saturday. And um, so we're, we're singing a bunch of different songs and Larry's strumming the guitar. And just kind of you know fixing a salad in the kitchen, and um, we decided to do uh, to do yesterday. So I print out the words. We're in the living room, and Sherry says, "Jeff, you want you want to sing?" So Jeff stands here. He is standing between the two of us, and he sings "Yesterday" with us in the most beautiful tonal quality, totally on pitch. All right. But it was the collection of us coming together that somehow, you know, gave him the confidence and the a sense of invitation to come on, you know, let's let's sing this. And it, it's it's just remarkable. And um, it's the gathering of other people. The more you can sing with other people too, I think, um, creates a whole other kind of personal atmosphere and experience it's that that's just wonderful but yeah this is great I, I i really appreciate what you do and um just coincidentally and this might relate to gwen too but i i'm in a choir um every monday night and we it's um 
it's a call and response where you don't need to read music, uh, but you listen to the music and then the, 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 our choir leader will, you know, sing the phrase and then we repeat it. And then we have these breakout rooms and we can visit with each other. Well, the last time there was a young woman in the breakout room and we were talking about, you know, do you sing? And she said, oh, I said, how did you find out about the choir? She said, my yoga teacher said I should join the choir, that it would open up my throat chakra. <laughs> Isn't that great? That there's like a throat chakra that singing, I guess, opens it up. So yeah. that's what it is. That's what my yoga teacher was saying as well, because if you know, <laughs> all of that, the teeth grinding, if you, you know, it's either you're not living in your authentic, you're not your, you're not able to communicate in an authentic way. So maybe you're not living your truth mm -hmm. or something else have kind of blocked that energy field. And some people struggle with it their entire lives because either they're not self-aware or they're just afraid of digging deeper and trying to figure out what, what has caused those blockages. But I've been on this journey, you know, for so long and just trying to find a way to just resolve these, I don't know, underlying fears or whatever. I just humming. <laughs> I'm just going to keep saying humming to you, Gwendolyn. That's your answer. Humming, 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 humming. I can do that. <laughs> Thank you. Hum everything. So before we go, we've come up to the top of the hour so quickly. Could you just tell us before we leave, Heather, about what's on your YouTube and your podcast channels? Oops, hold on. You're now you're on. You need to unmute now. Oh, yeah, you there are. You see, the universe muted me. <laughs> um, or could have been me actually. Uh, there's not much on my YouTube. Everything on my YouTube is is private stuff that I just share with my clients. So I'm not really very YouTubey. Um, but my website is heathervoice.com um, and on there there are lots of various bits and pieces about the classes and things that I'm doing um, and if you go to heathervoice.com slash podcast you can get to my happy voice conversations there are only two episodes on there at the moment there are lots going up there but they're lovely one is with a sound healer guy in uh, Bali that I used to teach years ago when he was a non-singer and now he's teaching and doing sound healing and living and creating a beautiful world for himself out there so um, there's a lovely conversation with him and another one with Dr Courtney Raspin who's a psychologist um, and we're talking about singing and uh, our relationship with our voices on there and there are lots more episodes to come. Um, I'm doing an online uh, class a six-week course called relax and sing for breathing and well-being starting in april and i'm also in the middle of writing this book unsung voices which is all going to be also get up they're going to have a sort of live program uh, to go with it oh, very exciting oh. and i'm all over facebook and all those silly places as well oh that sounds so wonderful well we will be tuning in at least in one place if not all of them <laughs> So thank you again, Heather, for joining me today. It's really been such a pleasure. And oh, thank obviously you. so helpful for everyone who's been on the call. Thank you. And, you know, guys, feel free to drop me a, a message or whatever if you want any advice about anything. Um, but but it's all about relaxation and breath and, and humming, humming, humming. That's start with humming and don't expect anything. Because <laughs> that's where things come from when you don't expect anything. <laughs> Perfect advice. So thank you again if you are watching or listening, and we will see you on the next episode.
Bye for now. Take good care.